The world we live in is an amazing one, full of passion, wonderment, and of course, fine wine. This is the story of one man's journey to fully understand and appreciate that world. So kick the tires and light the fires. It's time to ride between the wines. It's Burgundian in style. Just a whisper of cherry. Very nice legs. This is so perfectly balanced. Such an old world style. Is this laced with tobacco? A total fruit bomb. I say, say, Ponzi! <laughs> Howdy, riders. Welcome back to Ride Between the Wines. This is your host, Mike Wineguy. Today I'll be joined with the wonderful and entertaining Renee Roscoe from Clinker Brick Winery in Lodi. If you've never heard of Clinker Brick, it's a family-owned winery specializing in several different amazing varietals and wines, but most importantly, of course, is Old Vine Zinfandel. Uh, so join us as she tells us all about the Felton family and her life and Zinfandel and Lodi. Uh, but before we get started, I have a message from my friends over at Lit Chicks Podcast that I'd like you to listen to. Hey, wine lovers, it's Becky from Lit Chicks Podcast, a podcast where my friend Marsha and I read and review books. And I know, I know, you're not here for books, you're here for wine, but that's okay because I'm going to tie the two together. Mike Wine Guy has agreed to be a very special guest on a very special episode. We're going to have a wine-themed episode. I myself will be reading and reviewing Cork Dork by Bianca Bosker. And we are going to get Mike to answer all the wine questions in the world. And we're also going to do a special wine and book pairing. So we hope you tune in. You can find it wherever you get your podcast or you can go to www.litchickspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Well, thank you for the invite, Lit Chicks. I look forward to it. And now, let's ride. Hello, this is Mike, the wine guy, for the next installment of Ride Between the Wines. And today with me, I have the wonderful Renee Roscoe from Clinker Brick Winery in Lodi. Say hello, Renee. Hello, podcast world. Thank you so much for joining me My today. My pleasure. It's been great so far. We have had an awesome day. We are now heading towards the veranda, which is a new awesome spot that opened up right off of exit 82 uh, on 20 in Northeast Columbia. It's a lovely day. I feel that we should mention it's like 82 degrees outside, sunny in all directions. This is a day that I want to be drinking Lodi Albarino. I would like some Lodi. In fact, I have been drinking Lodi Albarino. <laughs> Hopefully my boss isn't listening. The rosé has been going down quite slick as well. That is not wrong <laughs> at all. All right. Well, we, before we talk a whole lot about Renee, let's talk a little bit about Clinker Brick. Well, I think the story of Clinker Brick is really one tied to the story of Lodi. And I think it's a fun and compelling story. If you like history, the uh, Feltons, Steve and Lori, to be exact, started the winery Clinker Brick in 2000. But their family has been growing grapes for wine production in Lodi since the 1890s. So really one of the first farming families of the region. Before that, it was watermelons, which I always think is interesting. And the story of Lodi has really been one of commercial farming for, for since its inception. It was watermelons and it was grapes. And, you know, it's kind of the top of the Central Valley, which is the salad bowl of America. It's very warm during the day. It gets very cool at night. And so Clinker Brick was founded because in the 2000, 
there wasn't a lot of quality wine being made from the region. And so if you're growing grapes and people are making bad wine from your grapes and nobody's paying you a lot of money for that grape. Mm -hmm. And if you can say, hey, look, what you can do and I'm going to do it, then uh, you can be much more successful at farming expensive grapes. And so we started out making Zinfandel. We have a lot of Zinfandel on our property. Our average age of the vine is 87 years. So a lot of this stuff was planted. Yeah, it's really old. Uh, It was planted a long time ago, and um, our fruit quality is really high. And so started making Zinfandel, then we dipped our toe into the realm of Syrah, just because we're gluttons for punishment, and we don't, you know, like to make anything that people like to actually (laughs) Actually drink drink. and buy, you know? Like, let's stay away from that Chardonnay. (laughs) So now we have, I mean, we actually make almost 22 different SKUs at the winery. Wow. Yeah, we make Metho Chippenois Albarino. It's pretty unique. It's really fun. We make a sparkling rosé, Grenache Blanc. We make a regular Albarino as we've been drinking today. Anyway, so really the wines were made in response to saying, let's make some wines that are good for the terroir and the climate. And uh, it's a pretty fun process. Our winemaker, Joe, is this really interesting guy who immigrated from Belize. So we have a little Caribbean influence in our wines. And, um, you know, I think he likes to make wines that are really fresh in style. We're always thinking about acidity. We like to eat. I like to eat. And I like to drink when I do it. So I like my wines to go well with food. So that means you got to have acidity and texture and all that stuff. And so we're really thinking about that when we're making our wines at Clinker. Which I think, not to speak out of turn, is something that I don't think is the first thing that jumps out when you think about uh, a lot of wines that come from Lodi. No, I think, you know, Lodi is a wine region, growing region. It's really easy to make bad wine. It's very warm. You get a lot of sun. If you're watering your grapes, we don't. We pretty much do a lot of dry farming on our older vines and your vineyards of Zin. We're all dry farms. Uh, I mean, you dump enough water onto a plant and you give it sunshine, it's going to produce a lot of fruit. Right. That doesn't mean it's delicious fruit. And so it's easy to sort of, you know, take the cheap cash and run and not put a lot of creative effort into making the wine. I mean, fermentation will occur in the stomach of a goat if you bury it in the sand. <laughs> That's how wine started. <laughs> Right, let me store these grapes in the hot desert and oh wow, this is good. This is great. Or something, I don't know, but you know, it doesn't have to be, it's not hard to ferment, you can do it in the toilet of a jail. Yeah. And uh, some of the wines coming out alone, I maybe shouldn't be fermented in the toilet <laughs> of a jail. <laughs> but not clinker. But <laughs> so, uh, well, so you mentioned that uh, a lot of Lodi was bulk juice of low quality um, until clinker really. I, I, I what. What other wineries are doing that about the same time, really stepping up and doing some premium well, stuff? Well, really the first winery that I think most people know about um, in Lodi that uh, there was another major factor in terms of bringing premium winemaking to the region was Michael David, mm-hmm. which is, uh, they became famous for Seven Deadly Zins, so they yep. no longer produce that wine. And Freak Show is something that's wildly popular right now. But they, um, they're about seven times the production that Klinkerberg does. So they're a little bit bigger, but they also were considering making wines of quality and they make some really high-end labels that are quite delicious actually out of Lodi Um, but I think Steve and Lori's niche has been really delving into some of these older vine vineyards like when you have the rosé which was deliciously enjoyed liberally and often as I like to say you you know we're talking about we're putting carrying on and that was planted in 1906 so it's just we have some access at Klinkerberg to some really cool old vineyards um our soil is really very sandy it's this kind of granite sandy loam think like flat riverbed Uh like 
And so because of that, we don't have that nasty thing called phylloxera. And so from that, we have these really old vines that have always been there and they just kind of grow on and it's sunny and their roots go deep so they get water and there's they, really no reason to die. <laughs> are they still on are they still on French rootstock or are they on American? Yeah, original. Huh. A lot of it's I mean we have a very we have a lot we have seven hundred and fifty acres so some you know the rootstock varies but yeah some of the uh, older vineyards are original rootstock. Hmm. Well, that's yeah. awesome. That's well, a little <laughs> incoming call. Yeah I'm <laughs> <laughs> As I mentioned several <laughs> times, I'm new to podcasting. I haven't figured out how to silence everything. Um, but anyways, back to the show. Uh, so, uh, all right, well, um, I think that tells us a good bit about Clinker Brick, unless there's anything about Clinker Brick that you want us to know that we might not know. No, I mean, I think I think we should talk about what a Clinker Brick is. Oh, of course. Clinky Brink, I sometimes say clunky dung, clanking clink, but Clonky Clinker dung. Brick is a very interesting term and people are often not familiar with what it means but the clinker brick is actually a type of historical brick uh when you look at them and look at old brick buildings and you see those dark blackened bricks that is a clinker brick um it is a dutch term and the felton family they they originated uh you know in denmark came over from german type peoples and that's where those clinker bricks first got coined the phrase but what happens basically during the old kiln fire process of brick making, which we don't do anymore, is uh, the wa- the temperature of the bricks heats up over 1,850 degrees. That's the name of our red blend. We love a theme. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and no the metals within the clay actually begin to fuse, mm-hmm. and it makes the brick very dense and very dark. And then on the outside, it almost gets this sort of like ceramic blackened patina. So it's also very pretty, but um, they make a distinctive clinking noise, and so the the people who were making bricks in the day, they were not considered very posh. They were they were considered sort of byproducts or throwaway bricks. And so it was easy to buy them very cheaply. Lodi traditionally has been a very poor farming community and people were gonna buy the cheapest bricks they could to make their house. They're sturdy, but they weren't posh for San Francisco type people. So you see a lot of clinker bricks in the architecture of Lodi and Steve and Lori have a family farmhouse that was built uh, in the early 1900s. It's made out of a lot of clinker bricks. And then there's the tie to the Dutch, but I think the sort of poetic tie-in to clinker brick is that these bricks that were once seen as byproducts or throwaways or sort of second-rate bricks are actually now highly prized, very artisanal. As oh, the phoenix rises from, yes, from the ashes, we now like to think of the wines of Lodi, which were once sort of sold off as bulk juice, being highly prized and artisanal and now used for a higher artistic purpose. I haven't heard that. I love that. That's it is great. the feel-good moment. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit in a little sound effect that goes... All right. Well, tell. so I actually know Renee from before she started working with Clinker Brick. Oh, oh one more Clinker Brick question. Oh, yeah. I I, uh, I wanted to talk about you, but I'm going to keep pushing that off I always want to talk about me. Well, there's a lot to say. Um, <laughs> uh, how many people work for Clinker Brick? It's small. So... I'm not, I, I don't have a head count. I'd say there's probably seven or eight tasting room people because mm-hmm. we do have a tasting room. Look on Yelp. If you're ever in Lodi, you should go. It's really cool. Uh, we're the number one thing to do in Lodi on TripAdvisor. What? That's awesome. a distinction, right? Nice. Um, and then we've got two winemakers. We actually have a really long-standing um, team of vineyard people since we have been growing grapes for over 120 years um, and we have a really 
uh, every year we have the same harvest team. So rather than just using any kind of random migrant worker, we actually have the same harvest team that comes back every single vintage, which is really key in order to really control quality during harvest. So we're proud of that. And then we have a lot of people who work at the winery, but you know, we got Matt, the guy who does all of our testing and there's five sales reps, including Farah, who's Stephen Lori's daughter, and she um, kind of runs the show. Her husband, Stefan, is our tech guy, man of IT, graphic designer, label guy. Everybody wears a lot of hats, so we're pretty small. I mean, oh, all in all, there's probably 40 employees, maybe, including our um, team that runs the office and does the books. There's three people. Actually, the office is below Stephen Lori's house. So you kind of go in their back door and you go down to the basement. Here's our office. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's very grassroots. Okay, we are going to take a quick break because I need some coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. And so it's for me. Yeah. All right, we are back. We had to make a Dunkin' Donuts run. That's Two what actually fuels. Car charges <laughs> on the credit card. Apparently it's challenging to make coffee at Dunkin' Donuts at 3 in the afternoon. We're the only ones drinking it. We're the only ones drinking it. It's delicious. Ice blacks. Um, so anyway, so we've talked a lot about clinker brick. Um, let's talk a lot about, or a little bit about Zinfandel. I want to talk about Zin. Which is the, the grape of Zinfandel Lodi. is the grape of Lodi. It's the grape of America. I mean, nothing, it really didn't start in America. They think actually it started in uh, like Croatia, came down to Italy, maybe Greece back in the day. But the two places that it was originated really that we can identify as Primitivo from Southern Italy and a grape name I can never pronounce, Carl Genos, right? I, would say I think I nailed right, it, yeah. I think I nailed it, from Croatia. So Zinfandel, however, has really found its <laughs> true home in California. It's uh, the widest, what, most widely planted grape in Lodi, and I think it's pretty widely misunderstood, and I think it's pretty widely misinterpreted in terms of how it's made into wine, but People love to drink it, they just don't know that they love to drink it. Uh, it is very fruit forward, it's really soft on the tannin, it's really easy to grow, it lives for a very long time. And it makes wines that are easy drinking everyday stuff. It's not necessarily a grape that I would say put into a wine that you're gonna age for 50 years and let's have a make my dissertation on it, no. But what I do like to do is pour a hefty glass and drink three of them with my friends. And I think Zinfandel has a really great home in that space. Uh, it's very fruit forward. It can have a lot of texture and acidity when it's made well, but unfortunately, because Zinfandel tends to be very prolific, you have to kind of know what you're drinking when you're buying Zin. And there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about the term, quote unquote, old vine. And I kind of want to make, I want to make a yeah. little statement Talk on old vine, because old vine is not a legally regulated term. And so you can have a one year old old vine labeled Zin. But as many things, uh, like humans, grapes, vines produce better fruit, just like we're better as we age, right? I like to think yes, better we now are. than I was last year. Vines get better as they get older, they make less fruit, but the fruit that they make is better. So when you're talking about truly old vines, like we have at Clinker Brick, we're talking average age 87 years on our vineyards. Um, versus something that's maybe 20 years old, you're talking about much more concentrated flavor, you're talking about better acidity, you're gonna get a way better wine, but there's no way to determine that from the bottle. So when you're buying Zin, you really should maybe do a quick little Google search, see what you're buying, just make sure that you're not buying something that's a 15-year-old vine that's really manipulated and processed, because Zin can be really, um, really, really sweet. It has a lot of robust fruit flavors, and so you kind of have to make sure your winemaking is 
going to, you don't want to take out that fruit, but you want to make sure you also have acidity and tannin in the wine too. But another fun thing about Zin that people don't think about a lot is um, since it does have such a nice fruit forward flavor and it doesn't have a lot of tannin, tannin is that sort of velvety feeling you get on your tongue from cab, right? Uh So uh, tannin doesn't go well with heat, like spicy foods. Just It's like your tongue is like, whoa, I've got tannin, I've got spice, like this right. is terrible. But Zinfandel doesn't have that. So it goes really well with like Asian food. And I am a big fan of a seared tuna over a really sort of like yummy, umami, salty seaweed salad. And Zinfandel rocks it with that. So people always think Zinfandel for barbecue and that's classic. It's also right. delicious, very American, right? Barbecue that's and American Zen. Grape that's about as American, American yeah, as you can get. It's a Fourth of July right there. But mm-hmm. don't be afraid to uh, throw some fish its way because it doesn't have a lot of like texture tannin, so you can have something that doesn't have a lot of fat. So uh, one thing I don't think you mentioned about Zinfandel, but I'd be interested to hear what you guys do to combat it. If I'm not mistaken, Zinfandel ripens very unevenly. Yeah, verasion is the scary word. Uh, where it turns from green to purple, and Zinfandel tends to not verate. That's the action, that's the verb of to to, turn. to, to verate. To verate is yeah. reason. I didn't know that. <laughs> I think, that's, I don't know. I don't well, that's what I'm saying now. <laughs> it does not verate very evenly, and so you kind of sometimes have to pick this midpoint. The clusters also tend to be very closely packed, so you get all these grapes jammed in, and as they get fatter and fatter, they have a tendency to burst uh-huh. a lot. So when you're pulling in a non-quality Zinfandel vineyard, you, it's very likely that you're going to have little green, sort of juniper berry-esque gross grapes and also fat, overly rotten, the birds should eat it, grapes right. on the same cluster. And when you bring that into the winery, you got to figure out how to mask overripe and underripe flavors. It's like a double whammy. But at Clinker Brick, we are able to really select for our vineyard sites that have an even ripening. And so we don't have to deal with those flavors. So it means less manipulation in the winery. It means brighter fruit quality without compromising on any of the other stuff because you don't have to manipulate it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's awesome. It's that's cool stuff, right? Yeah. Zen is very misunderstood. It's kind of like, it's it's really out there. And people drink a lot of Zen and they don't know it because Zinfandel is really the base grape for a lot of the red blends that we have out there right now. Um, but sometimes, for some reason, when you put Zinfandel on a label, people are like, oh, I don't know. Is that white Zin? It's yeah, not white, white Zin. White Zin is really It's the... not white Zin. I feel like on several menus, I, I actually put red Zin. Yeah, red Zin. Just so you actually know that it's a red Zin. I had a, yeah, I had somebody the other day who works in the industry refer to my Old Vine Zinfandel multiple times as white Zin, and I finally <laughs> got the gumption to say, you know, it's red. <laughs> It was like a finance person. I'm like, this is not a white Zin. It's not oh, the white Zin. Funny. Yeah, it was, it was bad. Do you guys make a white Zin? We do not make a white Zin. We try to make world-class wines for world-class people. You know, well, anyone can drink it, but if you drink in Clinker Brick, you can know you're world-class. I like that. That's a good tag. <laughs> you can use that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so back to what I was going to say was... Um, uh, you got your, where did you get your start? Tell me about your path to get where you are Oh right man, my path was um, one of failure really. I, <laughs> I thought I was going to be a, <laughs> I thought I was going to be a finance guru and I was your average college graduate thinking they deserved a CEO's salary at age 22. And right. Unfortunately that was um, in 2007 and Ooh, 2008 wasn't right. the best moment to try and find a job. Fair enough. So I was a really, you know, great bartender and I loved that. And then 
I kind of got this vision, like a little peephole into the wine world, and I'm like, wait a second, like, you mean they pay people to go into restaurants and like drink wine and sell it, and that's a Isn't job? That crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I, know, I still I think I can't I, get I over literally it. still think every day. I'm like, like this is like someday I'm gonna wake up and they're gonna be like, you owe this money back. Like you, <laughs> you haven't had a job. You, you kid. You, this is your tab. <laughs> so I, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I was moving, I was crazy. I followed a boy down to Hilton Head Island in South Carolina and I was bartending at a Bonefish Grill and I was working at a hotel, like cleaning the pool deck. I mean, it was really pretty miserable. But I knew I wanted to work in the wine business in RNDC, Republic National, uh, took pity on me and gave me a shot. I actually, they, they didn't hire me my first go round. And then I applied for a job in the fall and they hired this other chick she didn't last because in March I when I was like pretty I was like doing everything and I wrote them a postcard I was like sending a you know if there was like a gif at that time like I would have selfied it but uh -huh. there was no selfies then but yeah and then they called me up and they're like would you like to reapply and it was uh May of 2009 and I said yes and then I started working in Hilton Head Island beach town and selling wine and then I moved up to Charleston and I sold some more wine and then I still really probably didn't know what I was talking about very much back then but over the years it's kind of come along and I've learned a little bit and I worked for about eight years for RDC and managed a team of sales reps which I loved and uh, and then Clinker came knocking at my door and I just thought man the opportunity to work for a winery that's actually owned by two people and help run by their daughter and that I can have a say. I mean, this is a really, it's a rarely rare opportunity and uh, I jumped on it and it's been very fun. It's a lot of travel. Cool. I, ha I catch a plane like people catch an Uber, but it's cool. <laughs> how, how many uh, states do you travel in? Eight. Eight states. Eight states. Oh, east coast. East, southeast, but we, because we kind of do it, chunk it into like a quarters. Southeast includes Texas. Okay. So I go about over to Texas, which I actually really enjoy Texas. Uh, it's different. It's not the South that I know and love, but it's Southern. It's something. Hey, Texas, if you're out there. <laughs> the great state. The great state. Uh, let's see. Um, maybe one more question. One or two yeah. more questions. Uh, uh, if you were going to be drinking something not from Lodi, what would be in your glass? Oh, man. Well, I, uh, I drink a lot of white wine. Okay. I love racy acidity. Gruner, Alsace, Italian. I mean, come on, who doesn't yeah, love a suave? Yeah. Like, give me some Southern, no, Bianco. Like, let me get real geeky on you. Yeah. I like the funkier, the better. I'm not a big fan of, like, orange wines. Don't hate me if you love that. But it's just, I do like a sherry. It's okay, but it's not, it's not every day for me. But, like, I want, I want it crisp. I want it fresh. And I want, like, a whole bottle of it. I'm with you. Northern <laughs> Italian, Alsatian, Northern Italian, yeah. You know, I wish I liked sparkling wine better, but I kind of, um, I don't. And I'm really to the point in my life where I've realized I'm only going to drink, like, Blanc de Blanc vintage grower champagne, because that's really all I enjoy. Like, uh -huh. I can't really dabble in the Prosecco or the, or the, so, that world. It's so, not so for me. Where do I, I get a come. bottle of this Clinker Brick uh, classic method? Uh, I tell you, Albarino on the sparkle, you got to come to the winery. Is that the winery only? Yeah, fly into Sacramento. Yeah, we only made like 100 cases. Yeah. Six packs. So. Yeah, that's extremely cool. Yeah, it's cool. I'll have some shipped out. I should have had some shipped out. I should have some shipped out. Well, we could now. saber it. Wow. 
We can make a video. We could do the YouTube element to your podcast. That uh, so next time Renee is in town, this is going to be a video podcast. Yeah. By that time. Um, Riding in cars with crazy people who've been drinking all day. <laughs> Riding in cars with s- swords and champagne. We can saber out the window. <laughs> and that was the day that Mike finally figured out how to get fired from his amazing job. Um, well, uh, we are pulling into the veranda right now. So thank you so much for your Thanks, time today. Thanks, Mike. It's my Try. first podcast. It's, it's like my third, so it's, I'm right there with you. Oh, man. Um, uh, again, it was Renee Roscoe with uh, Clinker Brick Wines, which are out of Lodi. So definitely, if you're in the area, visit the tasting rooms. And if you're not in the area, at least in South Carolina, you can find It's close to Napa. People <laughs> Is forget. that how you have to sell it? Yeah, I sell it that way all the time. I'm like, yo, you, everybody goes to Napa. It's as close to Napa as parts of Sonoma. It's an hour. You take the oh, 12, right? You roll in. I think you should go to Lodi first, but this is how you go. I'm going to tell you because yes, I'm going to pitch, yes, it. Please, I'm gonna pitch yes. it. You fly into Sacramento. Don't deal with San Francisco. The car rental is more expensive. you got to deal with the bridge and the traffic and the tolls. It's nuts. It'll take you two hours to get to Napa. From Sacramento, you're 45 minutes easy drive south to Lodi. You spend two nights. You get warm. Lodi is way cheaper. I mean, if you go to mm-hmm. Napa, you're 50 bucks a tasting per person. You go to Lodi, you're five. Wow. And we have poor heavy. <laughs> <laughs> and then you do a day or two in Lodi and you taste all these cool little interesting. Plus, we throw really cool wines in Lodi. Like, we don't just grow Cabernet, Sauvignon Blanc, and Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. That's what you're getting in Napa and Sonoma. But in Lodi, you get Carignan and Mouvedra and Grenache and Albarino. I mean, who even knows what? Pig Pool Blanc? Yeah. You ain't gonna find that in Napa. No, I don't no, think so. You're not. You're not gonna see any Methochampanois Albarino in Napa. Yeah, def- I don't think I've seen it anywhere. No, <laughs> you won't. You were the first person to ever make it. <laughs> Anyway, you should go and fly into Sacramento, avoid San Francisco, pop into Lodi, it's an hour over to Napa. It's really fun. There's tons of family farms out there. It's mostly family-owned wineries. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. And again, you can also find um, Clinker Brick Wines at fine bottle shops everywhere, I'm sure. We definitely yes. have them here in Columbia. Um, but all right, chin chin, till next time. Chin chin. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, but don't go yet. It's time for the second installment of my new segment where I call someone not necessarily in the wine business and quick fire five questions their way. Today, I'll be calling Captain Victor Kemper of the Columbia Fire Department in a segment I call Tick Five. 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 Hello. Hey, is this Captain Victor Kemper? That's me. Hey, Captain, how you doing today? Good, man. How are you? I am doing awesome. I appreciate you taking a moment out of your busy day to let me ask you five questions for my new segment called Take Five. No problem at all. Awesome. You ready to jump in? Yeah, let's do this. All right. Question number one. What wine does a fireman such as yourself uh, like to drink to cool down after a long day of fighting fires? Well, not a lot of drinking on the job, of course. So uh, the next day, though. The next day. We, we work 24-hour shifts, you know. Oh, so there is no coming back immediately after a fire to drink. I didn't even uh, consider that. Lots of water, yeah. Some Gatorade, maybe. <laughs> the finest vintage. Well, well, how about this? Uh, let, change the question then. Well, What wine do you think that your wife would be sitting at the house drinking while you are out fighting fires and saving lives? 
<laughs> well, uh, hopefully, hopefully she is nice and happy with a cool Riesling. That's definitely been her favorite lately. Delightful. What a great choice. Uh, question number two. What is the most important skill to be a successful firefighter? Uh, well, uh, good judgment doesn't hurt. Some physical fitness, of course, is real important. Oh, and, uh, yeah, I would say both of those, really. Yeah, there's a lot of quick on-the-spot decisions that you have to make out there. So the judgment. Absolutely, yeah. Good judgment is imperative. doesn't matter if you're the newest guy or the, the oldest veteran. If you don't have some good judgment, you can get some people hurt. So. Well, that's good to hear. It makes perfect sense. I hope you keep your judgment out there. Question number three. Who is the best-looking actor to ever have played a firefighter? Oh, that's that's really tough, you know, because you got to think like who still looks good after the movie, stuff like that. Ah, oh, great, great! Wow, you do have great judgment. Yeah. Let's say while yeah. they were in the movie. Let's let's uh, narrow it down to that. Kurt Russell, obviously. Wow, he Kurt was, Russell. He was bull, bull in backdraft, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually wrong. Um, the right answer was actually Mark Wahlberg and Ia Hart Huckabee's, but. Golly, Kurt Russell, that was a nice try, Captain. You were very close on that one. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> um, question number four. If you were not a firefighter today, what do you think you would be doing instead? I have absolutely no idea. I think <laughs> I've, uh, I think I kind of got called to the role unexpectedly when after college, after we went to college. And, uh, I honestly have thought about it a lot over the years, what what I might do after, and I have no idea. Well, pretty something in healthcare or... Wow, really? So if you get out of the line of business of, of saving people, you go back into a different business of saving people? <laughs> Probably, to be honest. You are, you are much more selfless than I am, sir. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> okay. Now, question number well, what are you, five... What are you oh. talking about, though? You uh, spend all day helping people out, pick the best line. Well, thank you. That's that means a lot. I, I don't know if it's quite in the same, <laughs> quite in the same level, but I would like to think that I make a difference in some Apples people's lives. Apples and oranges, my friend. Apples and oranges. All right. Question number five, and this is the one that we call the stumper. Six. Mm. This is a seven-part question. Holy cow! So uh, for Mr. This is going to be a trivia question. I know it. It is a trivia question. So Captain Victor Kemper, although you might be my favorite captain out there, there are seven other captains I want to ask you about. So I'm going to name an actor or actress, and I want you to tell me what famous captain they are known for portraying. All right. All right. Let's start with an easy one. Chris Evans. Captain America. Beautiful. Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. Let's see. I don't think I know that one. Oh, you're going to kick yourself. Oh, shoot. Hang on. <laughs> uh, no, it's not coming to mind. Captain Hook. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, Captain number three, um, Patrick Stewart. Oh. I have two Captain answers Picard. I can accept for this. Captain, Captain John Luke Picard. You have the second one? Hmm. That's, that's so iconic. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, it's hard to. Do you see that new trailer, by the way? They're coming out with a Picard show. Oh, no, I didn't see that. Is so it, I guess he's looking good. Yeah. Looks Wait, good. oh, it's actually with Picard, right? I heard he was coming back. It's, yeah. it's actually with 
uh, with Patrick Stewart? Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah, the whole the whole teaser is only uh, him on his farm with the wine. Of course. And uh, of course, and it's just his voiceover. Yeah. It's not a lot of details yet. I'm literally gonna look that up as soon as I get off the phone with you. Yeah. But the I, other I captain. Of, yeah. What's the other captain? Captain Ahab. Ooh, when did he? When was he Ahab? Uh, he played Ahab in a Moby Dick miniseries. I don't think it was actually a movie. It's a British one, years ago. Mm-hmm. And then there was all the Captain Ahab illusions in First Contact, if you remember that. But that's super nerdy. All right, you still get credit for that one. Uh, how about Tom Hanks? Wasn't he a pilot in Castaway? He might have been a captain. Oh, Sully. He was Sully. Oh, man, I didn't even think of Sully. I was going with Captain Phillips. Man, he's, he's had lots of captains under his belt. But that's yeah. definitely a win there. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Rush. I'm not sure. Who, who is that? Um, well, without naming this movie, he is a yeah. British actor. He was in um, Sleepy Hollow. Mm. Oh, I knew who you're talking about. Nah, you, you know I the guy? I do. I do. I don't think I know when he was a captain. Though. It, he he like was that. Captain Barbosa. I didn't want to go with Captain Jack Sparrow. I he, thought Johnny Depp was too movies. obvious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not you so much, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, all right, two more on here. Chris Pine. Easy one. Well, he was also Kirk. Kirk. Another Enterprise. I thought I might fool you by not going Shatner. I did not. And last but not least, Brie Larson. Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. That was seven. And you got one, two, three, four. You got five solid out of seven. You just missed Hook and Barbosa. I'm mad about Hook. (laughs) Pretty upset. You can't even see him as that. coming off duty. Uh, You know, I'm a little foggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a long, hot day yesterday. You know what I mean. Yeah, I, I hear that. Well, I feel like most of your days are probably hot. But Captain Kemper, I thank you so much for being on Take 5 with me. And go back out there and keep saving the world. And you keep giving that good wine. Thanks, man. (laughs) Thanks. Later. Later. And there it is, another one for the books. As always, I'd like to thank Reeves Rutledge for letting me steal his voice, Robert Gardner for letting me steal his music, and our guest Renee Roscoe for letting me steal her heart, probably. Thanks also to special guest Captain Victor Kemper of the Columbia Richland Fire Department, and thanks to all of you for listening. If you are actually in the South Carolina area next week, there are two great events happening. Uh, In Veranda Grill in Elgin, on Monday night, we'll be inviting Ben McClure from Talbot Vineyards, which is in Santa Lucia Highlands, uh, for dinner. Again, that's Monday, June 3rd. And if you cannot attend but have a question for Ben, send me a voice message through anchor.fm, and I may relay your question on air. And Thursday, June 6th, you can taste all of the wines from Bueller Winery in St. Helena at the Gourmet Shop in lovely Five Points, Columbia, with Helen Bueller herself, who was my guest from episode two. Otherwise, come back next week and meet Chris Benziger of the Benziger Winery in Sonoma. And until then, chin chin.